0: Creative
1: Babble. John, so in the last episode, Tim Jones, the ex Marine I spoke to, said that he called 911 because his girlfriend claims that she bought prescription painkillers from the father of Constable Mike Wallace.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think other things were going on that night between the two of them, there was an argument taking place. But I think at the core of it, Tim Jones was concerned that Constable Wallace would come to the house and arrest him for having the drugs. Because based on what his girlfriend had told him, the constable would know they had those drugs in the house. Right. And
1: that's exactly what happened that night. Lisa, the girlfriend, had the drugs, but it was Tim Jones who goes to jail.
0: I had been drinking a little bit, so the fight escalated, not to a physical point. So I called the cops, but uh, three constable cruisers show up. Three of them show up in my front yard, and Wally, Wally's the first one to the door, and he just blew by me, and he said, where's Lisa at? Wally knew Lisa from before. He knew that she bought pills from his dad. He was a destructive force. The people I've talked to since, I mean, and you probably know this, his victims were people that had been in trouble before, to some degree, usually some kind of drug trouble. So that would work with his whole narrative of, well, hey, they're going to believe me over this person. I I was just dumbfounded that a cop come in and do this stuff to people. Take my vehicle. I mean, all of I was just, just dumbfounded.
2: It sounds like Constable Wallace liked to go after people who were small-time criminals and or drug addicts.
1: Yeah, but here's the problem. Tim Jones doesn't fit the bill. In fact, he's one of the few people who decided to fight back. So you get arrested, and did he tell you that it's in your best interest to plead guilty?
0: He came to my house on three separate occasions, harassing my family telling them that I had better take the deal if I knew what was good for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, were you going to take the deal?
0: No. You know why? Ezra Dyke. Man, that guy, he's a public defender, probably makes $38,000 a year, 42, whatever it is. He is just a good person, just a good man. And he's like, this this, is, this don't sound right. This, he said, this Wally guy is notorious for planting drugs, stealing shit. Everybody knows it. It's just we just can't we just can't nail him. He said, "But you know what? You might you just might be the difference." We don't run into too many ex-marines, college degree, no felonies, no arrests. Let's see how he uh, faces up against this accountant. Yeah.
1: From the creators of Twisted and Pretend, this is Criminal Conduct Season 2, an investigative podcast about rogue constables in Pulaski County, Kentucky. Hi,
2: I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Javier, in the last episode, we ran through a litany of complaints against Constable Wallace. Were you able to talk to any of the people who had complaints against the constable?
1: Yeah, I did, and many of these people are scared to talk, but I was able to get the father of a man whose son is sitting in jail right now because of Constable Wallace. Mark Atkins, Sr., the father, happened to mention to Constable Wallace that his son, who's also named Mark Atkins, was using drugs again, and that he wanted his son to check himself into rehab did the father know constable wallace before this incident yeah they knew each other and here's what the dad told me tell me what happened well
4: wally had told me because i know wally and he told me he said i'm gonna get him he said just give me time i'm gonna get him i'm gonna get him you know i mean you know how it is i mean you don't want your kid doing drugs
1: but he when he said i'm gonna get him like uh, i'm gonna arrest him Yeah, yeah. He said, I'm going to get him. Then one day after that conversation, Constable Gary Baldock, who many believe was in cahoots with Constable Wallace, happens to pull over the sun in a traffic stop. A few minutes later, Constable Wallace arrives at the scene. And as luck would have it, Constable Wallace finds heroin in the back of this guy's pickup truck. But there's a problem. Gary Baldock, the other constable, is who actually
4: stopped Mark. Then Wally pulls up when he gets out and walks up, he walks up fire and gets down a wreck in and says, oh, look, there's a needle laying in the rail of the truck. Well, how many trucks do you drive up on that you can see the rail of the truck?
1: No, you'd have to look a little hard, right? You'd,
4: yeah. And then, then he goes to the back of the truck on the driver's side at the very back of the bed, breaks the plastic bed liner out from under the lift. Pushes it back and reaches down and says, Oh, here's a little baggie with some gray residue in it that I suspect to be heroin. What he said in his report. Wally called me the minute he done it. He called me and he says, Well, I just won't tell you. I got him. I got him. Said he got heroin on him.
1: And what'd you tell him?
4: I said, well, if, he, you know, if that's what he had, that's what he had. Because, like I said, I'm against drugs. But then, if I'd have known down the road everything that I know now, I probably would have hired Mark a lawyer to go to court with. But Mark, all the years he's, that he's had the drug issue, he has never done heroin. He has never failed a drug test for heroin.
1: What kind of addiction does or did your son have
4: his drug of choice is meth? that's the addiction he's got
2: i think it's pretty important to note that the father isn't denying that his son has a drug addiction problem right. i mean in fact he was wanting him to get help so i don't think that he's gonna lie about the type of drug that his son was taking he's drug tested his son before it's always meth He's not ever had anything else.
1: Yeah, because he's wanting to get his son help. But, John, what do you think about this search and the way it was conducted?
2: I mean, it's like all the other searches we've heard about. It's shady. But this one, I mean, I don't think it's a legal search. In most instances, you can't just rip apart somebody's vehicle or tear out walls in somebody's house unless you have a search warrant specifically
1: stating that you can do that. It is interesting that this is a pickup truck and not just an SUV or, or another truck, because a, a pickup truck, you can just walk around and see what's in the bed. Yeah. But it sounds like in this case, Constable Wallace was looking deeper than just observing what was in the bed. He's like pulling the liner out to find yeah. this, this drugs.
2: Right. I, I feel like pulling that liner up is beyond the scope of, of even a search uh, in under these confines. So I think there's probably a question as to whether that would be a legal and valid search. I feel like all this stuff, it starts out that just, it goes off the rails pretty quickly with these constables.
1: And let me ask you, I mean, what Wally and Baldock claimed to have found in his truck, was it field tested? Was it sent to a lab somewhere? Did they take any pictures of these drugs?
2: No, we just have the words of Constable Wallace and Baldock.
1: So what do you what are you implying? What do you think really happened?
2: He dropped it in there so we could
4: charge him with. It. He has never once used heroin.
1: So it was basically Constable Wallace's word against your son, yeah. who has an addiction yeah. problem.
4: Yeah, but but I mean,
1: now let me ask you a question:
4: Do you think it is legal, or that they should convict somebody on suspicion? Shouldn't that be tested?
1: I'm guessing if your son would have chosen to go to trial, he would have had to show the evidence, right?
4: They took Mark in and told him, says, well, if you don't plead guilty, we'll give you 20 years, 10 years, whatever it is. Yeah, he was was going to get him. He was going to get him with something. I know Wally was crooked, but then the day after all this, and Wally told me, he said, if Mark will go to rehab, I'll drop all the charges.
1: Mark Atkins Sr. tells me that his son pled guilty and was sent to rehab, but that didn't last very long.
4: And we were sitting in court when Mark went before the judge. Wally walks over to us, leans across the, the wall thing there that splits the front from the back in the courtroom, and says, your son's in a heap of shit that he's going to be going to jail for 20 years for having sex with a 17-year-old girl and got her pregnant. In rehab? Well, it, scared, it scared the holy shit out of us. We know the girl. So what do we do? When we left court, we called her. There ain't no truth to it. You know, I mean, that's just the kind of
1: stuff that he would do. So, so where's your son now? Where's Mark now? He's still in jail. John, I spoke with a local defense attorney who represented many of the people complaining about Constable Wallace's conduct. And he says that the Rocket Docket, which is a local plea deal program, allows for this type of behavior. Here's what attorney Greg Owsley said about this.
5: The Rocket Docket removes all evidence and it removes all prying eyes. And what I mean by that is Mark Atkins, A traffic stop was planned and it was conducted uh, while he planted or or did he? Did he plant anything or did he just arrest Mark Atkins, put him in the back of the car and fill out a citation saying that he possessed heroin because he was arrested. He set in jail and without an attorney, the prosecutor goes to him knowing that The goal is to get Mark Atkins treatment. They go to Mark Atkins and say, you get treatment and we'll give you probation. The terrible thing was, and what the father didn't anticipate was, the father wanted him arrested. The father wanted him to get help, but the father didn't want him to be a convicted felon. Actually, in his case, he makes it to like the 28th or 29th day of the 30-day program and someone alleged that he kissed the one on the cheek and they threw them out of the program and then gave him a year to serve because he didn't com- successfully complete the program. You're violating someone's constitutional rights. You're, you're violating his civil rights.
2: Mark Atkins has a criminal record. When he gets to court, who's going to believe him versus an elected official? And in this case, it's Constable Wallace.
1: Right. And a lot of these people are kind of shady. You know, some of them have broken the law, but not all of them.
3: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Meet Ann Ellis. She says that her encounter with Constable Wallace completely changed her life forever.
6: it it's ruined my entire life.
1: Ann's car broke down.
6: And so I had my hood up and all of a sudden he came in his comfortable car and I had just cashed my income tax check. It was around, I had like $2,000 and they were all hundreds. I had literally just got it the day before.
2: Javier, that's a little hard to understand, but we have Ann Ellis. She's driving through town. Her car breaks down. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Constable Wallace is behind her with lights and sirens on. And once again, he finds someone who's carrying a large
1: quantity of cash. Yeah, a lot of cash. And she was planning on prepaying her rent for the next three months with that money. I feel like Constable Wallace is like a
2: cash sniffing dog. If someone <laughs> has cash, he knows it and can pull him over.
1: Yeah. yeah, he just like knows where to find the money, man. Follow yeah. the money.
6: Well, I didn't make it because my car had died. So you, know? you were broken
1: down on the side of the road? Or?
6: Yeah, yeah, on the side of the road. And my hood was up. My car had overheated, so I was trying to let it like cool down. And I thought, oh, he's going to help me. When he pulled up in the car, he said, I need you to stay there. And I was like, okay. And he came up to me and he said, is there anything in your car that I need to know about? And I was like, no. I thought
2: he was going to help me with my car. So she's thinking, oh, this guy's coming to help me, and then he's like, "Let me see your license and registration." You know? Yeah, like, exactly. This isn't going well.
6: When I pulled my license, that was a big fat cat, and uh, that's when he started in with the, "Is there anything that I need to know about?" Blah blah blah.
1: And what did you tell him when when he was making you making the arrest? What did you tell him?
6: I said, "This is not right. How can this?" Happen. I thought he was going to help me. Like when he pulled me over, I thought, I, and I told him, I remember telling him, he's like, Hey, I, I said, my car overheated. And I mean, he just went immediately into predator mode at that point. So the next thing I know, he's like, oh, maybe you're a drug dealer. This is what he told me. And I knew right then that something was getting ready to go really wrong.
1: Do you have a, any, Past record, or any reason why he would think that?
6: I did have a past record. I had a DUI once before. I felt like he was preying upon people with past history because I had a job, I had an apartment, I had my children. I was past all that. So he said, well, I'm going to call a state trooper because now you need to be taken to jail if you can't pass the test. So he, he said, state trooper that he had gave me this test. He said, um, the way it was wrote up, I asked for my wallet and Wally handed it to the state trooper and I said, Where's all my money? And he said, It looks like he left you a nickel And I was like, This this is this is not right <laughs> you know, and he's like, Well you should go take a drug screen and get an attorney if you need one. Well that was the first thing I wanted was an attorney because this crap was ridiculous i mean i i was just in disbelief it's not like i've got an attorney on speed that well i do now
2: so according to her attorney after ann ellis's car breaks down she's just waiting in her car and waiting for it to cool down she's taking a nap and that's when constable wallace arrives he yanks her out of the car and he begins searching the vehicle and he finds prescription pills and around 1500 in cash
1: yeah and so constable wallace takes the cash he takes the pills But then a Kentucky state trooper arrives and he conducts a field sobriety test and she fails. John, I know what a field sobriety test looks like when you've been drinking too much. But how do law enforcement officers conduct a test when they believe somebody's just been taking prescription pills or drugs?
2: It's the same field sobriety test. They're just looking for impairment, uh, but they're very subjective. It's basically luck of the draw, right? Yeah, exactly. And so most jurisdictions don't want to arrest somebody for driving under the influence just based on the testimony of an officer about the potential impairment of the individual. And with your kind of your prescription medications, I mean, people aren't always aware that you could be impaired from those prescription medications, but you're not drunk. So you're not going to fail a breathalyzer, but you still may be impaired and you still could be arrested and convicted of driving under the influence.
1: Yeah, I was actually looking this up the other day. And according to one study, more than a third of all drivers who fail a field sobriety test are actually sober at the time of testing.
2: That doesn't surprise me just because people can be tired. People can have other things affecting their coordination that make them appear drunk or intoxicated in some level or impaired. So it's not surprising, but it is a definitely an eye opening statistic.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So how do officers usually document these field tests they usually
2: want it either video recorded and or they're going to want someone to have taken a breathalyzer test so they have actual scientific data showing that the individual was impaired
1: what did he find in your car that he thought was methamphetamine?
6: well see that's it he never said that on the original rest record i never even heard about methamphetamine. I didn't have any methamphetamines. That was something that was added on in the indictment, which
1: came out eight months later. You didn't have any pill bottles or anything in the car? I had uh, my medication, but
6: that was it.
1: What kind of medication?
6: Um, I take, like, an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. I've taken them for twenty
1: some years. Even if you had meth in the car, it's your word against his, right? Because none of this gets turned into
6: evidence. Now, in, in the first arrest record, there was no mention of methamphetamine. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, The only thing was various pills. That was it in my money. That's uh-huh. what he took with him.
2: Whenever Constable Wallace is involved, these situations seem to spiral out of control rather quickly. It goes from roadside assistance or just a routine traffic stop to multiple felonies in a matter of moments.
1: And it always involves prescription drugs, property, or cash.
6: There was no mention of that before, so I don't know where he came up with it or how, but you would think that it should have been on the arrest record. At least some kind of description.
1: Yeah. If you're going to go to jail for it, it should definitely be
6: important. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't.
1: Based on the field sobriety tests and the information given to him by Constable Wallace, the state trooper arrested Ann Ellis for driving while intoxicated and took her to jail. Ann Ellis refused to plead guilty. And that's when the harassment started. He
2: would. sit and
6: angle his car.
1: He was what? What was he? He would
6: sit in my apartment complex and angle his car right at my house and sit there for hours. And he was out of his jurisdiction when he would come to my apartment complex. He was in Burnside and I was in Somerset. I can't
1: live with somebody like this. So you mentioned that he would park outside your house. How do you know it was him?
6: because I knew a comfortable car. There was no reason for him to even be at my apartment. My apartment comes it kind of has like a, one of those circle drives around it
0: mm-hmm.
6: and mine down on the bottom of that hill. So he would park up there in the parking space like literally almost catty corner to my apartment and just would face it and I remember sitting out on the porch just seeing how long he would stay there. Usually people that go to jail, honestly, they're usually guilty. You know? I mean, the, the percentage of. But this was like, like I was living a dream. Like It wasn't yeah. even real.
1: Did Constable Wallace ever tell you to plead guilty?
6: He said that if I took a DUI, that he was going to keep my money. And if I took... The drug charges. He was going to keep my money. Like, either way, I would have pled. I would have pled guilty to the DUI or guilty to the drugs, drug, I was screwed either way. Like, that's the way they put it.
1: So, um, were they got, were they trying to make you plead guilty? Is that what was happening?
6: Yeah, I had been fighting it for a year, and it was costing me, you know, money to do this. And I was running out of money. I ended up being guilty, I think, to a DUI because I thought that would be the easier way to go. But it's not. It's been terribly hard.
2: A year and eight days after the supposed crime, Constable Wallace charges Ann Ellis with possession of methamphetamines. Yeah, and this wasn't the end for
1: Ann Ellis.
6: I go to work and I put my keys down and... I started working in the um, back on stocks and it came up to the register and I saw two state troopers walking. So I thought that they were just in there for somebody else, to be honest with you. And they said, you know, are you Ann Ellis? And there was two of them. And I was like, yes, I am. And they said, well, we're here on a warrant for um, an indictment. And I was like, okay? He goes, this has been out for months. They put me in handcuffs right up at the register in front of my boss. I was actually very stunned when I was there. Now when I got to the jail, I was
1: a complete mess. Yeah, so when she got out of jail, did she go back to work?
2: When she got out, Ann Alice called her boss to check and see if she's on the schedule, but her boss never called her back.
6: Not only did I get arrested at my job i got fired from my job because i got arrested and i get evicted from my apartment and i had to leave everything i owned in kentucky i I mean everything we owned i had to leave except for a pack of clothing for each of us to take on the plane me and my two girls i I used my last paycheck that i had bought. i was down from nothing you know my kids went through worst trauma ever i'm a strong person had this happened to somebody different and if i didn't have the beliefs that i have and if i didn't have the strength to be able to go through things this probably would have ended up killing somebody they would have just gave up he preys on the vulnerable he's a thief he's a liar I, I don't ever want to see that man's face again. And I hope that he gets everything that he did to people. I hope he gets it all that put on him. What do you think about the story so far?
1: It's mind boggling because it doesn't seem real. You know what I mean? The way the system is designed doesn't seem is this country. If we were to change the setting and say this was like somewhere in South America where it's a banana republic or whatever, you know what I mean? like Then that would make more sense, but not in the United States, right?
6: We're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but yet the system completely failed me. I don't trust law enforcement now. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, you have good reason not to. And that's kind of know. a shame because they're there to protect us, right?
6: Exactly.
1: In the case of Ann Ellis, according to her, she broke down on the side of the road. and She's not even driving. She flags this cop down. It turns out it's Constable Wallace. And he ends up arresting her.
5: As a criminal defense attorney, I, I get a lot of questions. Can they do this? Or how, how does this happen in America? Or how can this happened constables they were the law enforcement down here in rural pulaski county and she had broke down and actually pulled behind a strip mall and she had some prescription pills that were hers and she had her rent money
1: she had an income tax check for two thousand yes
5: that's what yes and he took it all
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and and charged her with a DUI and she wasn't even yes. operating the vehicle.
5: And I represented her on that. I think she even pled guilty to it, my advice, because he was going to charge her with a felony. He, he had communicated through the prosecutor that he was going to take her case to the grand jury and indict her unless she pled and forfeited everything. It ruined her life and according to her yes and that's where i tell people uh, this and and it's hard to believe it's uh, but she, he knows or has shown that he usually knows who to prey upon and who not to yeah. at least that's something that he was good at for the most part I mean, he knew ann ellis was a easy target <sighs> even when i was in the criminal justice system as a prosecutor i, I had heard other prosecutors comment that and jokingly say that Mike Wallace the constable was a walking civil rights violation
2: A special thanks to our executive producer, AdvertiseCast, and Ruby Rose Fox for allowing us to use her song, Bury the Body, during our intro. Her music is available anywhere you can purchase music. If you enjoy the podcast, find us on social media at CriminalCon. And please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. And easy down
0: comes the you will
5: not me.
3: My name is Mike Morford. Some of you may know me as co-host of the podcast Criminology. I'd like to tell you about a solo podcast that I host, which is very close to my heart. It's called The Murder in My Family. We've all heard about horrible murder cases in the news, both solved and unsolved. Most of the time, we listen for a moment and then go about our daily routine. But have you ever wondered who those murder victims were or thought about their backgrounds? They're more than a blurb in the news or a statistic. They were real people living real lives. They were someone's child, parent, sibling, or friend. In The Murder of My Family, I try to get to know those victims with the help of the people that knew them best, their family members. Together, we talk about the lives and tragic deaths of their loved ones, as well as the ripple effect the murders had on surviving friends and family. Some of the episodes feature high-profile cases you're probably familiar with, like the Colonial Parkway murders, the Delphi murders, or the Golden State Killer murders. But many other cases are ones from small towns all over America that barely made the news. There are dozens of episodes of the Murder My Family available right now to binge on. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Creative Babble.